0: This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117, with a shout-out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive. Play some games. Most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. Welcome, one, welcome all to episode 48 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, September 6th, 2020. I'm your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we discuss the immense power of IP affording game companies leeway in the market. Ubisoft has retitled Gods and Monsters to Immortals Phoenix Rising, and next gen information still eludes us on the horizon. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I do each and every week, I want to offer a quick word of thanks and kindness to two people in the XEP community who have made my gaming week better. And this week it goes to two people who are I'm very close to both in real life and in the gaming verse Joseph Moran, who hosts the PlayStation Podcast, The Trophy Room, and my friend Kevin Butler. We have been gaming for months and months and months, years at this point, goodness gracious, and since Shelter in Place took took on its uh, new meaning in 2020, we've been gaming any number of games from Halo Wars 2, State of Decay, Rogue Company, uh, most recently we've been having a blast on Sea of Thieves, all three of us hit Pirate Legend. Uh, just this past week or so. And I want to thank both of them for making my gaming life better, because each and every day it seems like I'm logging in, playing with my buds, hanging out, uh, and somehow making it through 2020. So I appreciate both of you guys. Thank you for uh, doing what you do, playing games, and having a good time. This past week did not offer anything grandiose in the world of gaming news, and in many ways that can be a good thing, Is Uh, We certainly have plenty to process, and many games are releasing right now. Of course, Kingdoms of Amalur codes have begun to go out, Marvel's Avengers has hit, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater has arrived, and we're truly entering the silly season of game releases, consoles or not. However... The past week was fairly quiet in terms of new content releases uh, or console news releases. We are still eagerly awaiting to know when the pricing and release dates will be shared with us. I have a personal hunch that we'll find out uh, right around the time xCloud goes live with Game Pass Ultimate subscribers. I think that would be a great time to share details for Xbox community members when they're like, hey, today you've got xCloud and in two months' time you'll be playing on Xbox Series S and X at this price. And I think it'd be a good time to announce those things but we we still eagerly await what those news announcements are and i would imagine that many companies are getting out of the way of those various things and adapting to to what is going on nvidia announced this past week pricing to some of their newer uh, gaming cards which is is great for pc gamers but the console space really had a a pretty stark absence of great or major news Uh, and i wanted to take this time to Examine a trend I'm noticing over the past few years at this point for consumer-friendly practices and anti-consumer practices and just what the gaming community seems to award. And I want to offer a thesis to go along with that. And that is simply, the power of IP is unrivaled in the gaming space. Any company that has a strong set of IP will be afforded leeway that any company that doesn't have that will not. Let's stick with stick with me on this journey as we go through and examine this idea and thought, and let's talk about just what the power of IP means. If you were to think about PlayStation, jumping into your mind would likely be Uncharted, God of War, Spider-Man, Horizon. You think about Nintendo, you probably think Mario, you think Luigi, probably Mario Kart, Smash, Kirby, uh, maybe Metroid if you're old school and, and enjoy being shamed by the fact that they will refuse to give you the game you want. And when you think Xbox, you likely think Halo, Gears, and Forza. Those mindshare pillars that uh, are, are each of those companies are standing on with their IP offer them a certain amount of leeway with gamers to get away with anti-consumer practices and be rewarded when things are pro-consumer. Nintendo this past week announced their 35th anniversary Mario celebration would include Mario Battle Royales and have something that is very relevant to this conversation, a Mario 3D All-Stars collection. Again, stick with me here. This 3D collection will release in limited form on the Switch and digital. That's right, it is a limited digital release. And in the collection is Mario 64, Mario Sunshine, and Mario Galaxy, all set to work on your Switch. And it is an awful collection. Nintendo should be ashamed of how they are putting this out. Again, stick with me. Let's compare this collection to what other companies might do. Mind you, this collection is not upscaled for Switch in any real noticeable way. It has uh, somewhat cleaned up controls so that they can function on the Switch. I'm alluding to Mario Galaxy. But realistically, there are ports of the original games and that is it. They are ports and nothing else, priced at a full price, uh, as a full price release, and that seems to, to land, I think, a, li- a, bit o- a little bit awkwardly, let's put it that way, a bit awkwardly with me, and it really tells me what Nintendo is able to get away with due to the power of their IP. For context, I purchased one of these, I have one of them pre-ordered, I have the digital version pre-ordered, and I am equally part of the problem. Compare this to some other remasters we've seen, and I say remaster in full context. Some games get full remasters, not ports. They're built from the ground up in a remake fashion, or they're simply cleaned up to function in the latest and updated graphics. Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning is a week out at this point. That game will be releasing at $40 for the original game, $50 if you want the original game, and the expansion that's set to come out in 2021 uh, with about 5 hours extra of content. $40 40 and $50 dollars for Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater came out this past week. Uh, Pro Skater 1 and 2, right? The combined remastered editions for, I believe, $40 dollars at this point. Activision put that out. Activision of all companies is putting that out. Compare that to, say, something like the Master Chief Collection, which we must acknowledge launched in a very broken and frustrated state for $60, now is available in Game Pass, includes Halos 1, 2, 3, For reach and odst however you can make the caveat that you had to purchase the reach and odst campaigns i'll allow that for sure Uh, those games have upscaled graphics two of them were completely built from the ground up to be remade with with modern day graphics for the time they were recreated you can bounce between older style graphics in halos 1 and 2 they have crossplay between different types of playlists full multiplayer suites and work in 4K and are forward compatible. That is wild to me that you get that amount of value in those three different examples I've listed between Master Chief, Reckoning, and Tony Hawk. And Nintendo is afforded the the, the leeway that we offer them as consumers to put overpriced port collections out for limited time, and we line up to do it. And I wonder why that is. You've got Microsoft who is doing so many things that are consumer-friendly right now, and yet they lack the mindshare. Consider that Microsoft at the moment has the most powerful console on the market in the Xbox One X, is set to have the most powerful console in the Xbox Series X. They will smart deliver your titles from one uh, generation to the next. Console titles will have backward compatibility. Games will have forward compatibility going forward. They've enhanced things for X. They have xCloud coming to all Game Pass Ultimate members in mid-September, meaning you can play these on your Android device. They have cross-play. They support cross-gen, cross-play except with accessories of multiple generations. And all these great things don't seem to matter in terms of market share that to me is the wild aspect of this and again part of the problem right here is the man speaking i have purchased that mario collection i often reward some of those bad tastes because it's something i want and it's very easy to boycott things that you don't but when it's something that you do want are you willing to put down your hard-earned money and this goes back to my bigger thesis the power of ip is unrivaled i have never played mario sunshine mario is fantastic i want to experience more mario I'm going to pay more to do it in a lesser experience than I would with something comparable, perhaps, over on a Microsoft platform or from a third-party platform. It doesn't seem to matter how much consumer-friendly marketing or push you have if you don't have the IP to back it up. Consider that when people think about the pillar IPs at Microsoft, they think of Halo, Gears, and Forza. Whether that's true or not, whether we must acknowledge Sea of Thieves or the the games that Rare has put out, when you must acknowledge State of Decay, when you need to look back into the library of older titles, whether or not you need to consider the fact that they've purchased compulsion games or they've got uh, partnerships with, with the people creating Psychonauts, Double Fine, it doesn't seem to matter. Right now, they don't have the IP that people want. Look over at Sony's side. The PlayStation 4 outsold the Xbox One by a, at least a ratio of 2 to 1 at this point. And Sony doesn't really have nearly the network capacity, doesn't have near the value of Game Pass to offer, and they've openly stated that going forward in the PlayStation 5, your accessories will not work, backward compatibility will work in a limited fashion, it won't be complete, not nearly as much as Microsoft. And yet, why are they able to do that? Because they're producing AAA high high-quality, much-sought-after titles like God of War, Spider-Man, Horizon, Uncharted, people want those games. And I think Halo, Gears, Forza, whether those are the true pillars or not, uh, don't have the same panache and don't bring the same uh, level of desire from people. And it goes to show that if you don't have the powerful IP, people won't necessarily onboard onto your platform, even if it is the most valuable. It is bar none impossible to to argue against Game Pass's value. You can't do it. It's just not doable. Game Pass's value is incredible. I mean, this year alone, I think we talked about this last week, Wasteland 3, Tell Me Why, Flight Simulator, Battletoads, Gears Tactics, Dungeons, Grounded, Age of Empires 3 is on its way, Uh, Crusader Kings 3 just launched... Uh, and that got a 10 out of 10, there's a lot of different types of game lo- games launching day and date into Game Pass, New Super Lucky's Tale recently, and yet, for all that value, for all the older games that are available in there, the incredibly h- capable games, I mean, like, Sea of Thieves is no slouch, Gears is no slouch, for all the, the the excitement behind those games, it doesn't seem to stack up to the powerful IP that Sony is building. And Nintendo, of course, can get away with murder at this point and will be like, yeah, here's my 60 bucks. It's cool. And I just think that's something to, to note. Microsoft, I'm sure, at this point, is acutely aware of it. That's why they have 15 studios now with multiple teams within each studio. Uh, that's why they've, they've sought out this approach to, to filling their Game Pass catalog. But uh, it's just interesting to me to consider how much leeway I, as a consumer, will give Nintendo. I, as a consumer, am willing to give Sony, and I'm willing to give Xbox. Despite the the, the perhaps more consumer-friendly approach for Xbox, uh, by a healthy margin, it doesn't seem to matter if you don't have the games to back it up. And that's just something I wanted to, to throw out there at you. I'm curious what you guys think. In a week where we didn't have a ton of news, uh, how does that stick with you? How does that land with you? Am I way off? Am I overselling this idea that we let Nintendo get away with anything? I mean... I would argue their profits don't seem to contend with that. My Switch collects dust, but I did buy one of them. bought one for my wife as well. You know, that's a, a something to note in, an, in and of all of that. It's just something to consider. I am certainly very excited for next-gen. I'm all in on Xbox Series X, despite not knowing the price. So again, maybe I'm part of the problem. If that's overpriced, maybe I am. Uh, if it's a high-value, it's, it's $400, $500, and it's extremely valuable, great. Good job, me. It's just something that we as gamers, I think, need to take time, whenever we're able, to reflect on if our money is being spent well. Are we actually voting with our wallets? Are we voting the way we say we would vote, but really our wallets are saying something different? Something to reflect on and consider in a week of fairly quiet news cycles all around. Now, we talk about consumer-friendly, not consumer-friendly. What is good for gamers is not. Something that really stuck out to me amidst the the price gouging that we've seen Take-Two offer with the NBA 2K approach and the way that EA is handling Madden and their not-at-all smart-delivered uh, upgrade versions for next-gen. Uh, EA also put out this past week that UFC 4 has released recently to fairly good reviews and, and people are seemingly excited about it but once the review cycle ended they've been putting ads into the game real world ads are now entering into that UFC 4 category and that just feels slimy and gross and it's it's odd and i wanted to call out the opposite of that in that cd project red has announced that any owner of the witcher 3 from this genera- generation 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 will get a free upgrade on Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5 the tweet reads quote A visually and technically enhanced version of the game will be available for purchase for PC and next-gen consoles and as a free update for owners of the game on PC, Xbox One, and PlayStation 4, end quote. And shout out to CDPR. I mean, they have continuously rewarded gamers for investing in their in their products, Witcher 3 launched with, I believe it was, 17 pieces of free DLC uh, alongside two paid expansions, which people continue to support. Right now, Witcher 3 is available in Game Pass. Presumably, if the game is still available in Game Pass, uh, you'll be upgraded sm- via Smart Delivery to the Series X version if you want to check that out. Uh, if it's set to go away and you want to buy the game, remember that Game Pass gives you a discount on that. And the, game is, the game's complete edition is... Uh, on sale quite often if you've never played the witcher 3 i will tell you that it is easily one of the best games of this generation it stands stands among the best of games uh, ever created easily so do yourself a favor check out witcher 3 Uh, if you want to wait till that series x version of course you can buy it now and it'll upgrade for free later that's cool I just wanted to give them a healthy, appreciative shout-out. They make their money. There's no doubt they make their money in a couple places, and they have a unique partnership, I believe, with the Swedish government maybe it's the Polish government. Uh, regardless, they have a unique partnership with their government to help with financing of their game, but they consistently put gaming value back onto the gaming community, and that has to be celebrated and appreciated. Also, if you're a PC gamer, they run GOG, uh, which is good old games. Give that a shout as well. It's uh, DRM Free Gaming, which is kind of neat. Um, it's It's also interesting, before I move on, I do want to note that it's fascinating to me. I run XEP in a way that is meant to bring in Xbox-related and necessary topics, and I find that in approaching Xbox-specific topics, we must reference the outside world of economics and, and competitors pretty consistently, and maybe maybe I'm in error on that, but I find that to be a worthwhile and healthy thing to do as consumers as we, we go forward there. But yeah, shout out to P- CDPR. That's a, a really good consumer-friendly thing for them to do, and uh, I'm all down with it. Witcher 3 is great. A smaller piece of news that I thought was interesting and worth bringing up is that Xbox has clarified they will be present at the Tokyo Game Show and they will be spotlighting Xbox Japan and a lot of the Japanese-related developers that they are working with via Minecraft content, via other gaming content. But they clarified in their, their notice that They would not be revealing any new information on next-gen that we don't already know, meaning that Tokyo Game Show will not house Xbox Series X announcements that you are unfamiliar with at this point or up to that point. I like that. It has been no secret that Xbox is seeking the golden goose, as it were, when it comes to Japan. Japan, the Japanese market, is ever elusive to the Xbox name, and they have tried any number of ways to enter into that Asian market specifically. In the past two weeks, we have seen Microsoft up its announcements and marketing for Game Pass, specifically via xCloud, in the Korean market. Now, the Korean market and the Japanese market are not the same. However, they do house similar infrastructures in terms of internet speeds and their, their preference towards mobile gaming. So you would have to imagine that if they can find a way as a company to be successful in Korea, where they historically are not number one in it by any shape or form, if they are able to find success within the Korean market by way of uh, advertising through footballers, through esports players, or any other method of getting their message out there for mobile gaming on Android devices with xCloud, play Xbox, AAA games, if they're able to land successfully in Korea, I think that's a comfortable backdoor into that Asian market, India, Japan, that has been so elusive for so long. And I do think it's important for Xbox to continue on a global scale they must find success within that Asian market. That does not mean first place. We have seen for the past few years at this point, you can be in third place and still be quite healthy. I am happy to see that continue. However, I think a stronger position in those Asian markets affords them a bit more leeway and flexibility in what it is they bring to gamers, what it is they're able to do as far as studio openings, partnerships, marketing deals, exclusivity agreements, all of those things that we see Sony do quite well. Microsoft needs to have continued success there, and xCloud just might be the way that they go. Smaller news also in this past week. Of course, there is an Ubisoft Ford event on September 10th. However, one of those things was leaked a bit early. Uh, Gods and Monsters is no longer going to be called Gods and Monsters. In fact, it will be called Immortals Phoenix Rising. No colon in any of that, and what a strange and odd name. There was a leak on the Microsoft side of things that suggested this game might be available on December 3rd if that posting on the Xbox Store is to be believed. Uh, If you're unfamiliar, the now-titled Immortals Phoenix Rising is an open-world game. It spans seven unique and stylized regions, Uh, and apparently you'll be wielding different powers uh, related to the Greek gods, something like Achilles' sword, uh, Diodalus' wings. You'll have to solve puzzles and battle mythological beasts like Medusa or the Cyclops. It sounds like an interesting game. I thought Gods and Monsters was a capable and, and comfortable title. I'm curious to see what Immortals Phoenix Rising really means. There's a bit of a word salad there, but, you know, many video game titles are. I'm curious to see if anything special comes out in this Ubisoft Ford. They certainly need to spotlight Watch Dogs. They've got Valhalla on the horizon, now Gods and Monsters. They've got Far Cry 6. Uh, seemingly, Splinter Cell is going to continue to be forgotten about going forward with Sam Fisher being in a mobile game. Gross. Uh, it's... it's uh, Interesting to watch Ubisoft work. It's like a tale of two companies at the same time. They 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 fought off Vivendi of and they got people games that they wanted. Now they're having to contend with no competition in that particular space. Uh, some rumors are even saying Prince of Persia will be back. So if you're excited about that, rock on to you. I don't know that that IP really garners the the panache and the circumstance that it might have before. But hey, the first half of my show was all about how powerful IP can be. So maybe that maybe that's a big one for you. Who knows? To Forks Tower. This is Sissy Jones, voice of Delilah from Firewatch, and you are listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. The AAA gaming season really is upon us now, with the first major release of the end of summer heading into fall. Marvel's Avengers is out now. At the time of this recording, I have played it to completion uh, for its campaign and dabbled in the multiplayer as well, and I can comfortably say that Avengers is a remarkably fun video game that absolutely defied my expectations after what I thought was a fairly lackluster beta. Happy to report that Marvel's Avengers is well worth your $60, but... Not a penny more than that. Stick with me here. The campaign follows the incredibly endearing character of Kamala Khan as she seeks to reunite the Avengers after the tragedy of A-Day, in which Captain America died, crashing the helicarrier in an attempt to save or destroy parts of the city. You will follow Kamala Khan through the story as she rallies the various troops, and through that time, you'll take control of both her and each of the Avengers along the way. Kamala's writing is absolutely impeccable, and she is brought to life by the brilliant voice acting of Sandra Saad, as she is likable, relatable, and she brings a wholesome quality to the game and character that is the glue that holds this game together. Kamala Khan is one of the best characters of 2020, perhaps of the past few years. I adored her writing and the performance by Saad in bringing her to life. Now, she brings Kamala Khan to life in a way that is very special and working alongside Sod as the now all-too-familiar cast of Troy Baker, Laura Bailey, Nolan North, and Travis Willingham as they voice their various Avengers. And they do a good job, but next to Sod's performance and perhaps the fact that we've heard these voice actors so many times, they do nothing to distinguish themselves or their characters in any notable way. Without a doubt... In terms of character development and spotlight, Kamala Khan is the star of the show. It's odd, then, that she wasn't featured in more of the marketing, but more on that in a bit. The campaign will take you roughly 10 hours to do solo, sans these sizable amounts of side missions. There is a lot of content here, folks, and there are a lot of mission types that you will be able to embark on. But the solo story, the campaign, will take you about 10 hours if you're playing by yourself. Throughout the story, the game introduces its own Achilles' heel, though, and that is its destiny-like mission and gear structure. It's truly a tale of two games here, in one, both of which are competent. There is no doubt about it, each of these two games are competent, but they're mashed up alongside each other, and they battle for dominance. The mission and gear structures outside of the main campaign act very much like Destiny's single missions, strikes, and raids. They scale in length and in difficulty, and they're largely repetitive in terms of gameplay. In fact, much of this game is repetitive in gameplay. You'll spawn with your character, you'll mash X and Y in various uh, levels of light and heavy combos, and you'll move on to the next site where you'll do the exact same thing over again. Lots of games have this loop, lots of people love this loop, I had an absolute blast with this loop, but it doesn't set itself apart in any notable way from games like Ultimate Alliance. In terms of gameplay, it feels like a very uh, part and parcel, X and Y masher, move on to the next stop. It's fun. The combat is diverse amongst the characters though, meaning that Captain America feels very different than Iron Man, who feels very different than Thor and Hulk and Kamala, etc., Black Widow is the star of a lot of those gameplay elements. She's a very confident, fast, and capable character with lots of gadgets. It's an odd aspect. In the, the beta, we said that this game felt like a master of none, and that continues in this game proper. None of the combat is going to be as good as Arkham. None of the flying feels as good as Anthem, but it was all notably better than I thought the beta was. Things ran smoother. They looked better. The players and the, the characters felt better and overall i really enjoyed the combat of this time what gets in the way though is performance and the tedium that comes by way of the gear systems the gear systems act as your incentive to level up your character outside of kind of a standard skill tree and it's completely hidden save for a few perks during combat that means that you will as hulk be equipping gauntlet gear but you'll never see or use the gauntlets to any notable effect it feels odd it's clunky the system is a bit slow and it feels out of place Uh, hulk doesn't wear anything but shorts so it feels arbitrary to force him into a system where he would do uh, and make use of various levels of gear that said The gear and leveling system is well done. I mean, it feels very good. It seems to me that uh, the the people involved in creating this Crystal Dynamics certainly learned lessons from The Division or Anthem and, of course, the oftentimes mentioned Destiny. The the gear system makes sense. It just doesn't make sense with the Avengers, if that is a a way you want to think of it. There is an intense amount of love poured into this game. There are more than Arkham levels of fan service in this. If you played the Arkham games, you know that each of those games is packed with Easter eggs and with special references to characters that only the most diehard fans will have. This game in Avengers does the exact same thing with the Avengers from the comic books. Meaning that if you are a longtime fan of reading comic books uh, and special stories from the Avengers outside of the MCU, you are going to be in absolute heaven here. There is so much content to unlock and to consume that is just clearly designed with a love and passion that you have to applaud Crystal Dynamics for. I was very encouraged by the amount of passion they put into Fleshing out each character's background and and the amount of collectibles that that come with it, there's a lot of content here. Again, I say that lovingly. There's a lot of content here. The problem is it feels a bit out of place when you put the 10-hour campaign that feels like a single-player game next to the massive amount of missions where it's fully a multiplayer Destiny-like game. They don't seem to mesh well together. The game also runs uh, very frustratingly, even on an Xbox One X, which is where I played it. Uh, The the game's very buggy. Hair will blink in and out of cutscenes. At one point, through uh, through Iron Man's helmet, I had Tony Stark's hair popping up in various colors and arrays. Uh, textures will blink in and out. There's clearly a lot of performance aspects that suggest that maybe this game could have used a little more time in the oven for polish purposes, but I don't think anyone's truly going to be complaining because the game is that fun. I like Avengers. I like it a lot. I'm surprised how much I like it, and I'm thoroughly enjoying my time with it. Uh, That said the deluxe edition is completely unnecessary and you need not purchase that do not purchase that if you were to buy the deluxe edition now after the the four day early release set that you might have gotten it uh, you'd be paying 20 bucks extra for one costume and that brings up the the awkward economy of the game i am very frustrated by what i would deem to be a very egregious economy Emotes, character skins can be upwards of $10, and that's surprising and frustrating next to the battle pass system that already exists next to a premium priced game. I was not at all happy when I got in to see the way that you can unlock some of the content is by spending as much money as they are asking for. In a game like Fortnite where it's free to play, I think it's a lot more forgivable than in a $60 game or in some cases, for those of you who may purchase the Deluxe Edition, an $80 game that doesn't come with any currency. And that to me suggests that you need to avoid the Deluxe Edition at all costs. If you get this game on sale, you will be absolutely thrilled with your purchase. And if you buy it at full price, I think you'll like it a lot there as well. This game is good enough, but the economy's slimy enough that even with that... The sting of losing Spider-Man is fresh once again. The idea that Spider-Man is exclusive strictly to PlayStation gamers and that Xbox, PC, and Stadia gamers are locked out of it uh, stings all over again. It was easy to dismiss when the beta was disappointing. But to find that the game is as good as it is, it is uh, a bit more frustrating to know that we're missing out on content, despite the Xbox community and Xbox gamers likely wanting to play on the Xbox Series X, which is presumably going to have uh, the best performance of all the next-gen systems. So I think that is something to keep in mind as well. You'll get the best performance on the Xbox family right now. You are likely going to be frustrated if you stick with it uh, in the releases of Clint for Hawkeye and Kate Bishop and some of the characters that are coming down the line. Not having Spider-Man might bother you a lot, and that's something to consider in your purchase as well. I do want you all to know that I was provided an early code to review. They gave me the deluxe edition. I played it early. Take whatever I said, understanding that they gave me a code, and I did not pay for the game myself. I will tell you this, guys. I'm loving it. I really am loving it. I'm having a blast playing my superhero game. I was already interested to play the superhero game. A lot of mixed receptions there, but I think this game is absolutely worth your time. Check it out. You know, two things that keep shows like XEP alive are iTunes reviews, oddly enough, uh, and listener engagement, community feedback, and, and talking points, and I've had a lot of that in this past week and I really appreciate that. Uh, I, I did a, a string and a whole run of a lot of interviews and then I took a br- brief break in reaching out to people. So uh, this show last week's and probably the one next week will probably not have an interview and people are still showing up and listening despite that. It was great to have on you know, the people from Obsidian, the people from uh, 12 Minutes and of course Ryan McCaffrey but to kind of calm down and catch my breath a little bit and still see people are showing up is so appreciated. Many of you writing iTunes reviews, I, I don't know if you guys remembered, but I said on Twitter that uh, at 35 iTunes reviews, I would get myself some uh, Halo Mega Bloks, like some of those cool builds that they have. Uh, I did that, I got the Hornet because we hit 35, which is really cool, it was a super fun build. Uh, and at 40, I've got the Banshee to open up. So we're at 36 right now. If you haven't dropped an iTunes review, uh, I have the Banshee sitting over on my shelf and I'm ready to build that thing, but I won't do it until I get to 40, So so help me out there. The other part that I am so pleased about is the community engagement. So many of you guys have been writing in questions, which makes the show fantastic for me. It gives me something to look forward to. And we had a lot of questions this past week, the first of which comes from Cybernox. And he says, should next next generation of consoles be delayed to 2021? I understand that current games we're playing with will benefit from patches, and certain games are not coming out till 2021 regardless, and with the exception of a handful of games, you can play most of the titles on current gen. Cybernox, you're making a good point. I've heard a lot of people speculate and suggest that Next Gen should be pushed into 2021, and I completely understand why they're saying that, and you make a good point. A lot of these launch window games are going to be available on both generations. Uh, if you're on the PlayStation side, they'll have two versions. If you're on Xbox, those two versions will be smart delivered, so you'll be able to play wherever you like. And it is a fair question to ask amidst a pandemic, amidst production being interrupted with illnesses and whatnot and amidst a lot of games being delayed and studios not figuring out how to move massive file sizes for patches and working around the various problems that come from work from home Uh, i know why you would ask that and i think your logic is sound it does make sense in some cases and from some perspectives to delay the systems but uh no i I don't think we delay the boxes into 2021 i don't think that's going to happen much less uh, should it happen Microsoft has already doubled down on their verbiage of saying November, despite losing Halo Infinite indefinitely at this point. Uh, I would imagine you don't see Halo Infinite till holiday twenty twenty one and. Maybe that's the right choice. I, I don't. I really don't know when it comes to Halo at this point. Uh, but no, I think we we get the new systems when we get them. Maybe they're in supply shortage. Maybe not. The nice thing is, as to your point, many of the games are available in multiple places. So if you don't get a Series X at launch or a Series S at launch, you can still play on your Xbox One. That's dope. That's awesome. You can try it out with X Cloud. No, get the boxes out there. Let them start doing their thing, selling people on performance. And the games will come, and the games will sell systems. More more PlayStation 4s were sold once God of War hit, once Spider-Man hit. Uh, Microsoft needs to have their own comparative aspects. That's a, a point that I've beaten to death this episode. Apologies for that. Uh, but no, I don't think we delay the consoles, man. There's no, no reason at this point, up to now. Like now, That's I, I would imagine they've been in production for a good while uh i sony has changed their verbiage to late 2021 as opposed to holiday at least at the time of this recording but uh, now get them out there get them in november play spider-man miles morales play gears tactics flight simulator play whatever you you want to play with the best loading times with ray tracing where applicable uh and then over time once developers have their hands on those kits and the tech they can make the best games possible and so i would say get those things out there if they're ready get them out there right now for sure Famous Seamus writes in, he says, With EA putting unskippable ads in their games, do you think that will have an impact on their future sales numbers, and do you think other companies will follow suit putting ads in their games? Yes and yes, Famous Seamus. I do think that once word gets around that UFC 4 is riddled with ads that are unskippable and people are finding out that uh, EA put down... Uh, a copy to be reviewed and then after that updated it to purposely change that's something activision has done before as well i do think it will affect sales because ea's ufc is not the same as call of duty yes it will affect sales it won't be overly notable and to your question about will other companies follow suit putting ads in games yes absolutely it's been done for a long time it's the level of egregiousness that we should be concerned of i mean Think back to Alan Wake on the Xbox 360. I believe it was Duracell and Verizon that were on almost every billboard. That was not terrible, and it wasn't bothersome, and it was easily ignored, and you could just play right on through the game without really being interrupted there. Uh, Some of the sports games have it in the background, which is understandable when you've got it you know, as part of the marketing there. But I think EA specifically is very, and forgive me on this, but hear me out, very lazy when it comes to their sports games and averse to taking risks uh it was spotlighted in madden 21 i believe that even in madden 21 you can see maybe it's madden 20 i don't know but you can see last year's number like you see madden 19 in the stands because nobody bothered to update it and fix it and that is not the developers that are necessarily being lazy on this they're giving their companies what a six to nine month development time and then saying, all right, right, game's got to ship at this point. No date, no doubt about it. So incremental update updates are all you get. And so you get those sloppy hastily put together versions that don't do anything to really change the bar. We all complain about the idea in sports games of, of, well, it's just a roster update. We should be so lucky. A $20 roster update would mean that they could have a two year development cycle. And that would be fantastic. I think, um, You'll absolutely continue to see ads in games. You'll see people continue to play with those ads. And again, to my beat-to-death point at this point in this episode, you vote with your wallets, and sometimes we vote poorly. We say one thing and vote the opposite when it comes to buying something. I, I don't know what kind of market EA was looking at for UFC 4. It does, certainly doesn't feel as strong as the Undisputed Games back, back in the day. Uh, UFC is not nearly where it was, but maybe I'm wrong, man. Maybe I'm wrong host of the Keel Hall podcast Captain Logan writes in of course Captain Logan had me on his show the Sea of Thieves Keel Hall podcast it was an absolute blast if you haven't checked that out go to your podcast service of choice type in Keel Hall if you like Sea of Thieves he runs a great show. it's a solo show as well. I loved being on there you guys should should give that one a go. Logan says Phil has mentioned not clogging the release window of Xbox titles. Uh, by spreading the titles out across the year. What franchises do you want to see content for in the first year of Series X? Oh man, so part of that's easy and part of that's uh, frustratingly difficult because uh, I'm the guy that really loves State of Decay and Sea of Thieves and Halo and Gears and we're getting Gears tactics. Halo Infinite is on the way. Sea of Thieves is persistent online and Undead Labs is working on State of Decay 3 though I don't imagine you see that in 2021. But in this launch window, I think you'll you start off with upscaled games, that like, like because their their launch is shot, right? They've got to do their best to sell you on Game Pass, its value, and X Cloud. That's all they've got, right? There's no real reason to upgrade um, game specific. So you've got to look at what's available in Game Pass. Well, Gears Tactics will be available on Xbox One, but if you make that a launch showcase title with ray tracing or other PC cool looking stuff. Uh, on the series x awesome do that and then over time uh, you have to hope ninja theory has a product coming out of course they had project mara they had i think it was project insight i can't remember what what the other one was Uh, and then of course they had hellblade 2 hopefully one of those is ready and not a bleeding edge level of content the outer worlds has content coming to it Uh, rare has Everwild. we are unsure when and how that's going to operate there uh, Double Fine, you'd have to imagine, is approaching some level of a release for something uh, at some point. And then, of course, there's, there's Mojang and Compulsion. We've got World's Edge, The Initiative, Playground, uh, Turn 10. There, there's a lot of studios that have big teams and several teams within them, so you have to be curious what we'll see there. My big thing when it comes to this opening window, this opening launch window, is I do not want to consistently see one of the richest companies in the world tell their gamers that they are there for them, they're their most consumer-friendly, which they seemingly are in terms of all the things that we've rolled out, but then consistently lose marketing deals. The Spider-Man thing is very frustrating, but it makes sense. There's, there's, a, there's probably a legality there that's just too difficult to compete with. But if they lose the marketing rights for Gotham Knights, for Suicide Squad, for some of these bigger games, and Sony continues to gobble them up, I mean, that's just frustrating. So that, that launch window, if they need to fill it out with third-party uh, exclusive content or, or something like a Spider-Man where like they've got a character that is special or a reason to buy it on Xbox versus anywhere else, that's what they need in that first year. And after that, the studios, the, all 15 of them and their multiple teams, should be able to take over, but I don't think they're going to have that in the first window. It's, it's a frustrating launch for any console, whether it's pandemic-related or not, but... I think that first, that first six months will be rough, for sure, outside of the people that are already in, like myself. Like, I'm already in because I want the games that I've listed before. BetterMan77 writes in with the last question for this episode, and he says, With the seemingly overwhelming verdict that Avengers is better than the demo, lead, does that lead you to believe that publishers should stop including betas and demos in pre-orders? Great question, Betterman. Uh, no, I don't think so. It's true, by, for sure. The beta did not impress me, and the game absolutely does. However, I think that beta, and particularly the way they rolled out those uh, war tables where they really sat down and talked about the game, is is actually example an example of what you should do. I would hope Halo Infinite does that. Those spotlights where they talk consistently about aspects of their game, I think it got people excited. They also laid out a clear roadmap for content that's going to be coming in the short and long term. Uh, Those roadmaps are always met with mixed reception, Anthem being a great example of that, Borderlands 3 as well. Uh, However, I think those betas are important. I think they're important to persistent online games. If your game is going to have an online element that is consistently available to players, you need to test that and run that infrastructure. And they did a very good job of that. They did it first on PlayStation, then on uh, PlayStation and Xbox, and then they opened it up, and they really just staggered that stuff out there. And I think it really helped with the smoothness of the launch. Avengers has launched fairly well in terms of online infrastructure. I mean, for all its problems, the infrastructure seemed to hold up fairly well. So I think they should continue that. Uh, you asked about demos as well. And those are, are akin to one another's with betas, but they're not the same thing. As long as the demo isn't built specifically as a vertical slice separate from the game and instead is a chunk of the game, I'm cool with the demo. I like that. But uh, I don't think demos are really really the jam for many people anymore. And uh, and, and that's kind of where I land on that one. Uh, Guys, that's going to do it for this episode. Big thank you also to Edward Varnell. I I didn't get to your question today, but I appreciate you always writing in. You're an awesome dude, uh, and I love that you listen to the show as much as you do, so thank you. Thank you all for listening to XEP this past week. I will continue to reach out to to get more interviews on the show at some point. I just needed a break. I needed a little breather, but thank you all for listening, for sharing, for reviewing. I consistently see the numbers each week, and it brings a, a smile to my heart. If you're one of those people who has done those things, Please keep doing it. Those retweets make a difference, and I really appreciate them. Uh, Thank you for the reviews. Check me out. I'll be back on Twitch soon once my camera gets fixed. Twitch.tv slash InsipidGhost. InsipidGhost on Twitter. InsipidGhost at gmail.com. That's it for me, guys. Take care.